The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Andrea Ross here, your host at Talent Talk Asia. Today's guest is Matt Nichols, co-founder and MD of Cornerstone Recruitment Japan. Brought up in the UK, taught English and played rugby in Japan before embarking on an exciting and fruitful career in recruitment. Matt co-leads a recruitment business in Japan that is Morgan Stanley backed. Bit of a rarity, so tune in to find out more on this. We discuss growth plans for Cornerstone, his advice on picking a business partner, and what is getting him curious about the Japanese market right now. This is what is in store for you today. What surprised me the most was how quiet it was. It was uh, it was silent, just silent. I think that's just in in Japan, and you know the recruitment is so much more email based than phone based. It, it doesn't need to be, but. It, it, it is, and I remember being visibly just just shocked at this massive office, which was silent. And I also remember asking, you know, who's the top biller? I want to see who's the top biller out of this 300-person office. Who's the top dog? And they pointed at some guy in the corner who was tapping away his, his keyboard. And, um, and I kept my eye on him for a couple of weeks. I think I saw him make one phone call in two weeks. Um, but this guy was a million-dollar-a-year biller. So yeah, it made me realise that there's, you know, maybe there's more than one way to skin a cat and I actually do have a bit to learn about this market. Enjoy the show. Hi Matt, how are you? I'm good, I'm great. Yeah? What, what, what would you say, I'm doing really well, what would you say out of 10 you're feeling today? It's actually a national holiday today. I'm at home. Is it really? It is in Japan. We get loads during the year. Um, something ridiculous, like 12 national holidays. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling good at home. Oh, very nice. You were, I bet your family are really happy then that you're working on your day off. <laughs> so, um, let's just get straight into it. I'm really keen to know everything about what you're doing up there at Cornerstone. But I kind of want to take a step back, first of all, because I think that's really important to kind of know your story and in a you know a Brit sitting in Japan and how did you get there and and kind of the decisions you took along the way so you're British from where where about you from from um a little town called Lytham St Anne's are you from Lytham St Anne's yeah oh gosh my husband's from Blackpool so I love Lytham St Anne's that's all that's all the posh old people live there don't they 
That's right. All the retired comedians yeah. used to work on the pier. They live in yeah. uh, St. Anne's. That's, oh, I love Lytham St. Anne's. Oh, that's, a, that's really nice. So, so you, what happened then? You grew up in up north and then... So, and so I know on your LinkedIn, it says you worked for a recruitment firm, which was yours, Nicole's Lindsay. Was that London? Was that up north? Like, talk me through that. So I'll probably take a step back, actually, because um, I think it's relevant to the whole the whole sure. picture. But um, yeah. actually, initially, I was an English teacher in Japan. I graduated and I, I came to Japan and, and taught English, kind of with the idea wow. of, uh, of maybe playing a bit of rugby and teaching English. And I think I ended up just teaching English and, and drinking quite a lot. But what made you decide Japan? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to sort of narrow anything, but it seems quite unusual to be kind of a small little town in the north of England, then all of a sudden looking at Japan. So what, what was the reasons for that? I don't know. I think all my mates were taking a year away and they were going to Australia, typically. And mm. uh, I just fancied something a bit different. And I, I, I played rugby, so, I was, you know, Japan is a country that you can play rugby in, so... That, that was it. That narrowed it down somewhere different where I could play rugby and uh, I ended up in, in Japan. Whereabouts in Japan? It was in Nagoya, which is the fourth biggest city in Japan. Okay. So it's still massive compared to Lytham St. Anne's, you know. Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a real eye-opener and I, you know, did it for a, a couple of years. And um, So Matt, talk me through the role with BMS that you came from Japan as an English teacher and then joined into recruitment. So talk us through that. Yeah, it was um, it was kind of by accident. You know, I, uh, I came back from Japan, didn't know what I wanted to do, and um, somehow managed to sign up with some rec to rec agencies. I didn't know they were they were rec to rec. Oh, right. They were only, okay. You know, they were only yeah. They were only introducing me to the recruitment companies. Interesting. Um, and yeah, I had a few interviews with you know the likes of S three and, uh-huh. and Michael Page, and got rejected. Um, Their loss. Their loss. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they offered me again later, which I might, I might add in my ah. career. But, uh, but yeah, and I ended up getting a job with a small, um, a small business called BMS. who had three offices. I was based out of their Warrington office. And we were doing kind of field sales recruitment, so placing salespeople who were, who were out in the field. And it was such a good, in hindsight, such a good introduction to recruitment because, you know, unlike a lot of the companies now in Asia, I think that, that maybe start their junior staff as, as researchers. Yeah, we're a lot kinder. You know, I, yeah, my job was yeah. just to, I had to make 100 calls a day Ugh. and just get jobs. So call yeah. sales directors, call sales managers, try and pick up some jobs. And a lot of the time, actually, you know, I had to sell why they should use a recruitment company, why they shouldn't advertise in the newspaper. You know, that that, that dates me a little bit, but that it was a good grounding. Yeah. You know? Did you enjoy it? I mean, what did you enjoy? The, I mean, it was a really different role. So, I mean, how did you sort of transition into doing a fully fledged sales role? It was, I, I was just lucky that actually I didn't realise, but actually I was quite good at it, and um, it was naturally something that I that I enjoyed. Um, but it was tough, though. You know, I remember, um, I remember the first week I got there, we we split up our our client base by letter. So I had like A to E. So any right. client beginning with A to E was, was my client. And I remember looking at the list and thinking, you know, Coca-Cola, brilliant. We're going to make, going to make some money. In Warrington. <laughs> yeah, in Warrington. And, um, but the girl opposite me, he was a brilliant recruiter and, and she'd been there a couple of years. She had T, that was her letter. Mm-hmm. And um, after about four days, I realized half my companies were missing and um, she'd just changed the name and put the, 
in oh, front of the company. That's brilliant. Oh, she's, that's, absolutely brilliant. she's that's fantastic. Yeah. She's a genius. So I challenged her on it. I was like, hey, it's not Coca Cola, it's not the Coca Cola company. <laughs> it's it's Coca Cola, that's my client. And in front of me, she called the, the reception straight up and said, Are you the Coca Cola company? And they said, Yes. Put the phone down, she said, It's mine. And that was, you know, so that was the grounding. I realized I had a bit of a fight on my hands. Um, but I think that was, it was good. I love it. That's it fantastic. And so how long did you spend with them then before? I'm keen to sort of see how you transitioned to actually work for yourself. So what was that journey I it, like? Yeah, I did it for three years. Um, and, I, you know, I can't, you know, they're, they're, they're a great business. Still going, you know, you look at a lot of the people who were there when I was there that are still there. So they, they wow. taught me so much taught me so much in three years and um i became a manager uh which is quite early for for their yeah. business and you know manage a small team and uh, and then one of the guys in my team we we started talking about maybe setting up our own business and i think we were a little bit cocky at the time and yeah, how we, old were you then you know, i was 27 28 mm. something like that yeah and so did you go into business with that person yes so we, you know, we left the company and we set up Nichols Lindsay, which was, um, you know, an exact copy of BMS. Right. Basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor BMS. You enjoyed the three <laughs> years and then just completely duplicated it. So, so no. tell, tell us what Nicole Lindsay does and is, is exactly the same functions. Was there anything different? <laughs> Not really. We, you know, we, um, we did have a database, which was, which was the one difference that, you know, at BMS, we had all our candidates were on cards. Oh gosh! Well, gosh, that's old school. Oof. It's old school. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had you had your card, your candidate cards in your box, and you had to lock your box at night. And, oh my god! Oh god, that is so old. Jeez, can you imagine? Yeah, I can. I can oh. remember. We even used to post CVs to clients sometimes. So. Oh my god! All right. Actually, I do remember that. So, with Nicole's yeah. Lindsay, when you had a database, was that quite kind of you know you were you're pretty futuristic, you know, really innovative? The fact that you you decided that it'd be a good idea to have a database. We thought so. Um, and we actually, you know, we partnered with a company called Invenius. I don't know whether you've yes, heard of Yes, I have. Yes. So that was when Invenius was setting up their business. So the, the product wasn't complete. And, um, and we got in touch with those guys and they did the beta testing with us, basically. So we oh. kind of got the database for free. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, and it was an amazing product. Went on to do, they went on to do great things. Yeah, and, yeah uh, still going now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, still going now. Um, so we were part of that testing and we got it for free and we, you know, it allowed us to set up a pretty cool database and, and yeah, we had a, honestly, we had a, we did, we did, we did pretty well. We, you know, we ended up with two offices, one in Manchester and one in Birmingham. Uh, you know, we had about, th- about 35 staff. Wow. Um, that is, that is sizable. It was all right. How did yeah, you sort right. of scale not- that up then? What was kind of your plan in those early days? And did you find that there were certain departments that you could scale a bit, bit more than others we're doing contract perm like what did that look like it was all perm was it um and it was all sales recruitment across different across different industries so yeah it's difficult i mean it's a long time ago now you know i think back and we um i'm not sure we had such a such a set plan we just just got on with it yeah i suppose if it was a buoyant it. market so what made you decide yeah. then to move to robert waters because was it was it robert waters after nicole nichols lindsay yeah, well, we, we went through the financial crisis at Nichols Lindsay and mm-hmm. we, we did okay. I mean, I don't think, you know, I was as equipped then, well, obviously nowhere near as equipped then as I was now, as I am now to, 
to get through that kind of thing. So I think we made a lot of mistakes and we were a bit immature in how we, we handled some aspects of that crisis. And we, we did okay. The business survived. We got through it. But once we were through it, you know, my business partner at that time was, he was done with recruitment basically yeah, yeah. after, after such a tough, we yeah. really struggled for, for two years. So we actually managed to find a buyer for the business and we sold the business. Okay. And, and then I, I took nearly 18 months off. Didn't work at all. Did you? Wow. What did you do in 18 months? It was a It was the best 18 months. <laughs> I ever. bet it was. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. So I did, uh, I just got really fit. You know, yeah. I went to the gym. I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was playing rugby. Wow. wow. For, uh, play rugby for Fylde Rugby Club, my local team. And um, yeah, and that was it. And loved it. You know, eating out, I breakfast out every morning. Yeah. It was good. I suppose you got to that point, though, where it had been pretty stressful with the financial crisis. It was probably quite nice. You've got money in the, money in the bank from being yeah. selling. It's time to just sort of reflect on that, isn't it? You're lucky you had the opportunity to do that, right? Where most people kind of like job to job, they've got to kind of move. So... So when, when, what made you decide sort of up to that 18 months that it was time to get back into it? What was that trigger for you? Well, I think there was the, the looming, you know, knowledge that I didn't have enough money to, to, to not work forever. Right. <laughs> that, you know, that kind of that has an impact. Mm. Uh, and also being a bit bored, still very young. So it was, it was a, a bit of boredom. And um, I think as well, you get to the end of the first six months, I just didn't think about anything. And then, you know, six months onwards, you start to think about, you know, what, what you could have done better yeah. and, you know, some of the mistakes that, that, that we made. And um, Do you take that forward to yourself now? Do you still look mm. on those and think, okay, I don't want to make those same mistakes again? Or do they get quite forgotten now because it was such a long time ago? No, there's a couple of things I'll, I'll carry with me, I think, for, the, for my entire career. Like, can, you share, um, can you share any of those or is it too sensitive? Yeah, I think there's one one in particular where we. Um, it's, I mean, it's not a good story, really. It doesn't. I think it reflects particularly well on on me. But um, we'd we hired our first three staff at um, Nichols Lindsay, and we, you know, we we're doing really well, absolutely killing it. Market, as you said, was buoyant, and um, two of the guys were killers, absolute killers, and one of the guys was just steady, yeah. honestly. Um, but he was super committed to the, loved the business. It was all, we, he was all in. You know, and um, yeah, we made the call at the time that we, you know, we had limited resources, so we we should get rid of him, and we'd get somebody who was like the other two, yeah, who were yeah. who were both stars. And I remember he went on holiday, and we made the decision that when he got back from holiday, we were gonna we were gonna fire him basically. And he came back from holiday, brand new suit, suit pumped, Aww. absolutely pumped. And um, and we fired him, and he was he was above the line in terms of performance, just. Yeah. But in terms of attitude and work ethic, yeah. top notch. Yeah. And then we went through another twenty hires, never getting anywhere near as good as the two people we joined, and never getting anywhere near as yeah. somebody who was as committed to the business. Yeah. As he was, and you know, I always regretted that massively. Yeah. And I did I did speak to him subsequently and say, hey, you know, I made a massive mistake there, and you know, wish wish I hadn't done that and um he was very cool about it but I yeah I always take that with me you know yeah. I think there's room there's there's room for somebody always who is just a steady performer yeah. but really committed committed yeah. to the business I think that's I think everyone's had those experiences or where you whether you've 
let someone go without giving them enough time or, or even sometimes it's just that they need probably specific development in areas. I think there's yeah. always that tendency to think, you know, that individual recruiter, they're really sousy, really aggressive. But I think, I mean, I know in England's quite different, but in Asia, those ones don't always last very well because it is, it is more genuine, authentic relationships. <laughs> and those ones yeah. with the good behaviours, they create teams, don't they? They, they keep they teams together. They actually, you know, in downtimes, they help to create positivity and contagiousness and energy like you kind of need it don't you in a tough job like recruitment but you don't know that back then when you're just learning how to lead people it's just not it's you know it's hard no. it's really hard you're so true and we you know if you just think we had this attitude of being you know we were like ruthless gung, gung-ho yeah people making a lot of money yeah. and, and thinking we were this massive business but actually you know it was it was a, it was a huge mistake and um yeah those people are are important to the business but I suppose you make those mistakes and then now you still carry that so I think it's good to have made those mistakes because then at least you think twice when you are making those decisions in your workforce now right I think that's yeah. what it's about is what what you're doing now so talk me through the next role then when you finished when you when you went back to work so who was that with so that was with Robert Walters okay so yeah so went back to Japan um interviewed with everybody uh, all the major players got offers from everybody, um, pretty much, and chose Robert Walters. Why was that? I know they're huge up there, but what was sort of if you get you know there's quite a lot of other huge ones out there as well. What made you decide to go and join them? They um, they're the number one. They're still the number one business by revenue. Certainly the number one business in in Tokyo. Absolutely, I think brilliant business. They get a bit of a bad a bad rep by. By people who maybe who maybe compete with them, but I think they're uh, they're a fantastic business. I, I loved working there, and it was, I don't know, it was a no-brainer for me. Everyone offered me the same kind of money and the same kind of director-level roles. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the time they were number one, and the people who worked there were I thought were excellent. Um, so, what are you doing there? You're director of what? What area are you supposed uh, to? Contracting, do? which okay. I hadn't done before. Oh my gosh! How was what contracting in this across the board or in a specific area? Across the board. Oh gosh! Yeah. Wow. So was it already set up the contracting, or you come in to? Yeah. Okay. So you were coming in. So were you replacing someone then, or how how did that work? If they're already quite established. Yeah, yeah replace someone who'd done a actually done an amazing job of setting up the contract division. So it was actually, I wouldn't say it was an easy job, but it was it was a case of uh, just growing it really and hiring good people and, yeah. and learning about recruitment in in Japan mainly. So yeah, it was it was really well set up already. Um, yeah, it was, so it was good. It was a good business. Kind of a nice role to to enter a new market. Yeah, where yeah. It gave me a bit of time. Gave me a bit of time to to kind of see the lay of the land. What surprised you most about working there compared to the places you'd worked before? I mean, a few things. I mean, I, I remember specifically walking in the office on you know on day one, and it's a big office. It was then it was two hundred and fifty people on the floor. Gosh, now it's probably three hundred and fifty people Jeez. on the floor. Yeah, and, it suits um, some people, right? I think when you're young, it's quite quite nice. It's kind yeah. of my worst nightmare now to be in a massive, massive office. Yeah, It'd be kind yeah. of, it'd feel too structured for me. But but then when you're growing up and you're learn, you know, in a new environment, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? It's a great place to start. Yeah. recruitment, I think. Um, what surprised me the most was how quiet it was. It was uh, oh, interesting. Why was that? It was silent. Why was that? It was silent. I think that's just in in Japan, and you know, the recruitment is so much more email-based right. than right. phone-based. It, it doesn't need to be, but it, 
It, it, it is, and I remember being visibly just just shocked at this massive office, which was silent. And I also remember asking, you know, who's the top biller? I want to see who's the top biller at this 300-person yeah. office. Who's the top dog? And they pointed at some guy in the corner who was tapping away his, his keyboard. <laughs> and, um, and I kept my eye on him for a couple of weeks. I think I saw him make one phone call in two weeks. Wow. Um, but this guy was a million-dollar-a-year biller. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, yeah, it made me realize that there's, you know, maybe there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I actually do have a bit to learn about this market. Yeah, um, yeah interesting it's interesting that you're not necessarily going in and thinking oh i'll get on the phone because they're not doing it there's a reason why they're doing it right is that still the case now just out of interest i think in most recruitment i mean most recruitment companies in japan are going to be a lot quieter than than what you would find in in london for sure um but yeah i still i mean you know it's a cliche but for me the phone has still has huge value um especially in japan in in the current kind of state of emergency because you know we're jumping forward a bit but you know the difficult japan's a candidate short market mm. so there are not many bilingual japanese candidates this is why we can charge 40 percent, which we do yeah and the thing about japanese candidates is they're pretty difficult to get on the phone especially during the day because right. they're terrified, terrified to pick up the phone right during, during right work. so so even if you did want to try and talk to them they wouldn't necessarily pick up okay it can be tough, but yeah. the lockdown has given, has given you know, a lot of people are working from home and now oh, everybody picks up the phone. Yeah. So, so that's really changed it. And um, so I think the phones really come back into play, especially during normal hours. Um, that's interesting. And I wonder how some recruiters have been coping with that from a skill perspective, because obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, um, you've all, if you're used to boys being on the phone, your um, communication skills are already perfected. But if you've been used to doing emails all the time, that's interesting, isn't it? Who, which ones yeah, can transition well, you know? Very different. That's a great point. Building that yeah, rapport think, and um, influence him over the phone. So how long were you at Robert Walters for then? Uh, just nearly, nearly three years. Three. So what made you do, what, I mean, most people that sort of go to a page or a Robert Walters, they always tend to stay a long, stay a long time, especially when you're at the senior level because you can get, the, you know, whether it's equity shares and, you know, there's always incentives to kind of stay and there's always big opportunities. So talk me through what made you decide to leave and go and work for another player um, RGF was two things. I think firstly, I wanted to be an MD. I mean, I'd run my own business and, you know, that ambition was still there. So wasn't there opportunities uh, there to do that? Or is it only like one yeah. MD of the office kind of thing? Yeah, it is. Isn't I it? think so. I mean, the other directors have been there for, for, a, for a long time at Robert Walters mm. and they're all good. You know, there's no, you know, you may consider yourself better in certain ways, but, you know, if you view it externally, you've got people there that are excellent at their jobs that have been there yeah. a long time. So, the, you know, there's very little chance of leapfrogging anybody to um, to get the MD's job. Yeah. And I think RGF was a uh, – I was approached by a rectorec. Um, rectorec love you, don't they? Is it the same rectorec? All over me. They love, love all you. Over me. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over me. <laughs> so, and, and RGF is a really interesting concept because mm. they're part of Recruit Holdings and Recruit is, is the fourth biggest recruitment company in the world. It, uh, you know, they own Indeed.com. Yeah. In Japan, they're a massive name. I mean, yeah. every single television advert break has a Recruit advert. Does it? it? Really? Um, wow. And the market in Japan is split. So you have the domestic market, yeah. which is the monolingual market recruit mm-hmm. dominates that market 
we have about 5,000 consultants. Wow. Absolutely dominate it. Wow. And then you have the international market where Robert Walters, Cornerstone, Michael Page, Hayes operate, where we place bilingual Japanese candidates mainly into international companies. So I think recruit, you know, they're this massive name and they, they'd seen the success that the likes of Page and Walters had had in the, in the international side of the market. And they wanted to, to replicate that and set up their own business to, to kind of compete with, with those guys. And so they established RGF with that in mind. And when they approached me, I think RGF had been established for about six years. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, I think they just had a lot of teething problems with, I guess, adapting their approach to the, the approach which would work in the international market. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. taken them a while to realize that their, their kind of domestic approach wouldn't, wouldn't really work. In what work. way? When you're saying adapting, mm-hmm. what, what way? From a people perspective, process or client focus? Like what, what was that transition then that they needed to go through? I think in every aspect. So, you know, the recruiters who work for Recruit are very much on the Japanese system of, you're, you know, you're lucky to work for the company. We're not going to pay you any bonus. You're going to do your job. Right. You'll be with the company for life. Right. You'll edge your way up. And the, their business model is very customer-centric, in it, but not in a, necessarily in a good way, in that the customer is absolutely king and they'll right. do whatever the client wants. Um, they have a lot of candidates. They cycle through candidates in a, in a, in a strange way in that and they have a database of 8 million candidates. Oh. But is it they managed? only... <laughs> It always sounds good, doesn't it? But actually, I wonder how often candidates get actually spoken on an eight million. Well, they have a rule where if you if you don't if they don't place you, they promise to place you within three months. But if they don't, they don't contact you again. So, I mean, ninety nine percent of that database was was dead anyway. So, there are a lot of changes to be made, especially mm. around comp structure, attracting mm. people who who could work in the in, in the multinational market. Um, so I think they'd, they'd reached a point where they, they'd realized, okay, we need, we just need someone who's going to tell us how to do it. Um, and, you know, after six years, we're, we're ready to kind of give in and, and say, right, we're, we're going to trust you. So I inherited that business and it was, it was 15 people. That was it. Uh, you know, making a loss. And, you know, and then four years later, we were, we were 200 people and we were, we were doing $50 million a year. That is um, huge talk talk me through oh my god that's that is huge so 15 to 200 people those revenues obviously <laughs> improve what were the kind of for you if you were to sort of put if you were to identify or describe the priorities for you at that time to get you there what were they i mean there's a couple of things i mean firstly though i mean the big the, the glaring thing was that you know i can't overestimate i can't kind of overstate sorry how how big the recruit brand is in Japan, it's absolutely massive. It's a household name, mm. and the first thing for me was just to leverage that brand. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was the, it was the obvious thing, you know. In what and way then? The, How did you do that then? Well, I think we, you know, we we targeted a lot of uh, bilingual Japanese consultants who perhaps worked for competitors, and you know, you, you didn't realize for them to go home to their family and say, "I've got a job with Recruit." It's like saying, "I've you know, I've been hired by Sony." It's sex, a big, it's yeah. A big, Right. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of prestige. Interesting. It's a big deal. So I always think um, that's so interesting when you say that about a recruitment firm. It just yeah. seems so interesting. Wow. But they're not I mean they're not just a recruitment firm in Japan. They do 
everything, right. you know, right. life, all kinds of lifestyle businesses, right. um, advertising businesses. So just a huge multi-channel business um, with recruitment at its heart. So that was, that was the first strategy. It allowed us to hire, you know, a lot of people who really bought into the brand, but not just Japanese people, actually, a lot of um, uh, guys that had been in Japan a little while and understood the potential. Okay. So you in, had, so you had experience, but also, so they're experienced, but they're also a lot more skilled, more, you know, in terms of that back when you yes. say multilingual. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I hired um, a guy called Alex Aboli, who is now my business partner at uh, a joint MD at Cornerstone. Okay, and you know, he was just—I think that was my first priority was to hire somebody that you know could be just a clear number two in the business, somebody who I thought was basically as good as me, and um, and I got him early, and that made a massive difference because then you could split the, yeah. the responsibility, yeah. and we were on the same page. Yeah. And then we, re- we just redesigned everything in the business. You know, they gave us a carte blanche to redesign the contracts, the bonus scheme, the KPIs. How you know, did how you, we, what, from the KPI perspective, what needed to change there just out of interest? It needed to, the KPIs needed to increase was, right. the, was the bottom line. Right. right. Because, because we, we had amazing resources. You know, we we had access to this database of eight million candidates, and you know, you can't be sending five CVs a week when you no, have access. Absolutely to not. So Even if those eight million weren't any good, they're gonna they're gonna be someone they can refer or someone within their network, right? This, you know, it's you're gonna get something eight, from eight it. Million, yeah, that, that database though, in a, in a candidate short market where even multinational clients only really want to hire Japanese people ninety percent of the time, is it's an absolute gold mine. Yeah. So we were we were set on this brand, and we were set on a, a gold mine of a resource. Um, so it was just about making people realise the opportunity they had, and also creating a kind of a compensation structure that would incentivise them to um, to also realise that, and yeah, and, and bringing a bit of energy back to the business too. And what didn't go well? What 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 kind of happened along the way that you thought, mm, gosh, I didn't expect that took a different direction for yourself you know what in this business not too much we um it was it was pretty it was pretty smooth i mean we i think to get to 50 people was a little bit of a battle yeah because i still had to sell this you know i was selling people when we were 15 people that yeah we're going to be 200 people yeah we're going to be yeah, one of the a top big stretch three. isn't it for them to see that yeah. yeah yeah we're going to be we're going to be one of the top three recruitment businesses in japan yeah so that yeah, perhaps that didn't always you know, didn't always win those battles, and and we were head to head with a lot of other recruitment companies that were trying to grow yeah. at the time as well. But I think once we got to fifty people, then we um, it I was, suppose you could scale it a bit more with that. Was there yeah. any kind of barriers for you as being a foreigner owner, you know, MD? I mean, was there was there any barriers there in terms of trying to attract talent to yourself? No, not really. I mean, I think the. The the main barriers were just with with my relationship with recruit group. I think as a whole, which is a very conservative, um, you know, Japanese business, and um, you know, so even things like, hey, we we got to eighty people, our office seats seventy five, we need to move office, yes. and and of course, I've got this grand vision of we're going to move to a two hundred and fifty person office, and we're going to fill it. Yeah, and their vision is. 
maybe we can rent the room downstairs and that's an extra 20 people and we'll right. see how you get on. Right. And there was a constant, oh, a I think there was cautious. just a battle between, hmm. yeah, between conservatism and, you know, my natural ambition and what I thought was, a, you know, the track record of saying, hey, look, you, yeah. you've, seen the, you've seen the first two years. There's no reason why it's not going to yeah. continue. And also you can see what other competitors are doing. It's not as if you're the only ones that, yeah. Hmm. Exactly. So that, that was a bit tough. But, but at the same time, it was, um, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I remember my first meeting in the recruits head office and they have a you know, massive kind of skyscraper in next to Tokyo station. Wow. And, um, you know, you'd be in that room on the 50th floor with United Nations style microphones and real time translators per person, <laughs> you know, looking out at <laughs> Mount That's Fuji. Else. Wow. So, wow. That, so, you know, it's still a very positive experience from, you know, being part of a big business and, and that kind of thing. So, so what happened then? Bring, bring me now up to current time, you know, Cornerstone. Tell, tell me more about the reasons of walking away from something that you'd built from a num- for a number of years to now be, co- to now be um, MD for Cornerstone Recruitment and co-founder as well. Is that correct? Is your yeah. title co-founder as well? Yeah. So talk me, through, talk me through a little bit more about the current state of what, you know, your role and, and a little bit more about Cornerstone. Coaching provides a space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button, reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think with RGF, we, we got the business to a point where by revenue, we were number three, I think in the Tokyo market. We just edged out Hayes and Michael Page. Wow, that's really impressive. And we're, and we're, we were sat behind N World and um, Robert Wales behind Robert Walters, um, who were out there at number one. You got to have a rival. But, you got to have someone to go after. That, that yeah, keeps that's people it. going. If you don't have that, you know, you can lose your motivation. You can. No, I'm a big believer mm. in that actually at all levels. And mm. um, you know, and you know, me and Alex are talking, and we were thinking about how our careers might look. And it just think you get to a stage where you know your own ambition is. Um, is greater than, than that of the company that you're working for. And, um, you know, Alex had, had never run his own business before. I'd okay. run mine. And want, I wanted another crack at it. So we started to speak to investors um, because we have a good, we, you know, we had a good track record at, at, at RGF. Yeah. And it's still a market that a lot of people want to get involved in. And um, so we had a couple of people in London that we were talking to. And then we, we were talking to Cornerstone Global Partners, which is a Morgan Stanley-backed business. Um, you know, 20, 20 odd offices in, in Asia, uh, offices in the US. And, you know, when we met those guys, we met Chris Watkins and uh, who's the CEO uh, and Sean, who, uh, who runs kind of the Asia side of their, of their business. And it was just, an, it was such an easy decision. I mean, these guys have ambition, which matches ours. They want to be a global player and they kind of have a, a catchphrase of en- enabling entrepreneurs. So they're going to grow the business with this kind of model. And it was, it, we got the best of both worlds. You know, you get the, the finance have been involved with a, a Morgan Stanley backed business. How does that get, how does Morgan Stanley 
How do you get to that point of even getting Morgan Stanley backed? Because obviously, because I know when I caught up with Sean a while ago, he was mentioning how it's really difficult for any recruitment firm to be able to prove those kind of revenues over a certain period of time. So how how are Cornerstone able to achieve that? Yeah, I mean that's um, that's something that Chris, I guess, would be the best person to answer. Mm. Not sure. not me. You know, he's the guy that that initially attracted that investment and. Um, so yeah i suppose for their china business they're massive in china right they're like 400 people in china so yeah it's probably yeah huge in china and and heading towards an ipo and i think um so we just got in off the back of it really i think we're very lucky to be involved in a business where you know we can get that similar kind of investment but also that we have the infrastructure of being part of a a bigger group in terms of client leads so can i just just being a bit stupid and just so that i understand it correctly so you're co-founder with with Alex, right? And so yeah. from you've got the Morgan Stanley backing, so obviously you've got investment to be able to run that business. But what yeah. part so when you're saying infrastructure, is that the database? Or you know, what's the infrastructure? What do they provide? And how, you know, what's yours, what's theirs? I always sort of I'm quite nosy, like to know how that kind of works. Yeah, the business is a joint venture. Um so it's kind of a fifty fifty split between myself and Alex and then the the other parties. And yeah, and, and Cornerstone, the, the infrastructure we get from Cornerstone is excellent because they obviously have a an established marketing team, an established HR team, nice. finance team. So we Learning use, development, I mean, we use them, yeah. yeah. Everything, yeah. L&D. Yeah. So we get that immediately set up, which is which is massive. Wow, when you that first is set up huge. Because that takes, actually, that takes so much time away from founders when they're building a recruitment firm because I think okay I just carry on making money and hire a few people and we'll get there but actually as you get bigger and bigger that's when every employee needs a path they need learning development they need to have a good experience it needs to be a good culture like it just and and you don't always have the the money or the time to be able to do that so you're quite lucky to have that then aren't you yeah I think we're really lucky and that allows us to focus on uh you know just just the business side really um which is great. And they give us autonomy to run the business. It's a joint venture. So we have autonomy to run the business how we, how we want. And that's, that's the deal we were looking for. How much collaboration is there between the different offices then, or not so much? I mean, you know, do you sort of get on calls quarterly? Like what, what is there collaboration there where it just doesn't need to be? There is, there is, I think with any, with any business, which is growing, um, the collaboration side is, is an area of improvement. But I think uh, for us, it's good. You know, we, we have a bi-weekly call. We have different teams okay. in different functional areas that collaborate. We pass job leads to each other. Okay. Um, yeah, no, so it's, it's quite um, it one then. Right. So it's not sort of mm. separate in terms of the yeah. locations you're in. It is quite collaborative. So talk me through yeah. what does Cornerstone, Japan, where are you in office? You know, have you got one office, a few offices? Where, what do you specialize in? Talk me through that. We've got one office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in a place called Marunouchi, which is Tokyo Station. Okay. It's a really good, really good, really good location. Yeah. Kind of prime location, right next to uh, our building is right next to Recruits head office. Oh God! So, oh, how funny! Are you actually in the office, or are you working from home, or doing a bit of a hybrid right now? We're in the office. Okay, interesting. Is that okay yeah. now? Then is it? Oh, I mean, what's going on up there for, from a COVID perspective then? I think a lot of our competitors are working from home still, right. um, and the government has given people the choice as to okay. as to what they want to do. And uh, you know, we're pretty clear with people when we hire them that um, you know our policy. We're in a shared office anyway, so there's loads of room to spread out. People have their own laptops. You know, we're not all 
cooped in one one place but you know our philosophy is that we want to keep people together while we're setting up this business and we're we're pretty clear when we hire people that's that's what we want to do unless the government actually states you have to work from home yeah you want to encourage that team yeah I think it's going to be an interesting one study wise in the future as I know a lot of companies are doing a hybrid but it'd be interesting to see how engagement and turnover and retention and all and kind of mental health has a play in people working from home and whether it will and also just leading to promotions can people get those promotions long term if they're not necessarily in the office and building those relationships face to face it's just it's going to be interesting times in the future. Sorry, I'm I'm digressing. Tell me a little bit more about Cornerstone and the business set up there. The Cornerstone, we I mean we're set up to be at the moment we're, we're a small business, so we've been pretty conservative because of the the current situation. So uh, we're just over twenty people. We're in one office. We cover. We have a life sciences team, mm-hmm. some back some back office teams, an IT team. Uh, sales and marketing uh, unit, and and our I mean our plan is to grow the business to to be a major player in in the Japan market. So we we're going to cover all bases. We want to be kind of 100, 150 people. Wow! Hopefully in the next four or five years. What's that going to take and, you to get there? Then do you think what's that going to take? What's that shift for you and Alex? Do you think that's going to get you to go from that to one hundred and fifty? I think we. I think I mean it's pretty obvious, but I think the the market's there definitely, mm. and we we have the experience. We've done it. We've done it before, albeit with a with a bigger brand and yeah. with probably better resources behind us. But I think the experience counts for counts for a lot. Yes, we need we really need to hire well, and what, you know we've mm. seen this before. Once we get to fifty people, if we've got the foundations in place and yeah. we have people who can develop into the senior leaders uh, as the business grows, so. That's the real key for us, I think, is to hire people that have that potential to be the directors and the senior directors in three or four years' time. And a, and a large proportion of the first 50 people we hire have to have that capacity. So really our job is just to make sure we can attract the, the best talent, make sure they, you know, people believe that this, this business is going to grow. Yeah. A bit like, a bit like when we start out. Start yeah. out. How can you gauge that, though? How can you gauge that you're, you've got someone that is going to want to – build and scale and develop others oh what i mean what a question it's so difficult isn't it to to truly difficult for recruiters isn't it yeah um and i don't think there's a magic answer i think for me it's it is yeah even for us and that's you know that's our profession yeah but i just think with experience we we're pretty good at identifying those people and um so you just have to have to trust your gut and the, uh, the process that we have for hiring people and you know, it tends to work. Yeah. Talk, talk me through, um, if you're, you know, look, sorry, I can't remember what question I was going to ask then. Um, what, what does it, what does it mean to kind of run your own business again? Cause I know you first started, you know, you, you've done that before and now it's kind of, I know you're doing it, you're co-founding it with Alex, but how's that feel yeah. to be doing that again? It feels amazing. Um, it, it feels like it's the time is right now. Yeah. And um, yeah, it really does. It feels like the time is right. I mean, I'm 43 now, so you're a young, pu- young puppy. Still a young pup. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've got, you know, just got the experience of mm. having had my own business, having scaled the business, having worked in different types of companies, um, having had now 10 years in Japan under my wow. belt. Do you speak Japanese? You know, not as well as I should. <laughs> 
I feel that means that you do speak Japanese, doesn't it? Not bad. Not yeah, bad. Not, not, not terrible, but yeah. Not, have you invested in that then? Not, not you, really good enough. Did you have lessons and things like that? No. Really? Um, you just picked it up as you were there? I actually have a... Sorry, there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all right. No, no, no. Yeah, I think I actually, you know, I actually think in, in the Japan market, there's a strong case for, if you're not Japanese, for not speaking Japanese at all. Right. Uh, in business. And, um, you know, so I really believe that actually. I think, you know, if you speak, if you're a native Japanese speaker, of course you should speak in Japanese. And yeah. that's, I think, to a certain degree, an advantage. But actually, as a, as a, as a non Japanese person, you know, the Japanese language has a hierarchy, especially the, the formal mm. form of, of Japanese, mm. which you have to use in business. It has a hierarchy which makes it quite difficult to sell. And it puts the person you're speaking to here right. and you here. Right. So, uh, I actually am quite resistant to non-Japanese people trying to do that. I just so it could think, be a um, barrier then, actually. You're ending up putting yourself yeah. at a different level by taking the choice of speaking the language. Gosh, that's really interesting. Exactly, yeah. And wow. I think if you're speaking in, in English to a Japanese, most of the people who, who we work with are Japanese nationals who mm. speak English, right? Um, actually, there's an advantage to speaking in your, in your native language to somebody who's not speaking in theirs. And I think that... Yeah that can make a big difference when, when selling. I think on the candidate side, it's where there's more of a personal relationship is probably an advantage to, to speak Japanese, but I think client side. Interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. I'm really keen to sort of get an idea now, you know, you're leading a team, you've run massive businesses before you're now going on that journey where you're going to be hiring and leading a big workforce. Yeah. That's your plan. How would you describe your strengths? You know, um, you know, what do they look like? How would you describe those? And how do you think that's helped you be successful in the past? I think, um, I think now a couple of things. I think um, I'm way more patient than, um, than I was. And I can see the, I feel like I can, I can see the quality and the potential in people where, when sometimes other people can't. And I think that's linked to patience as, yeah. as well. And maybe a skill in terms of developing people that you've probably seen along the way that some people can grow and become this person because you've had more experiences with more people than. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. And, and actually there's nothing more satisfying than that is there than when you see somebody else go on that journey and you've had an input in that and, yeah. you know, you see them two years later and they're a completely different yeah. person and their yeah. life is different because of the chances they've been given and the, de the development they've had. So that's amazing. I'm really passionate about that. And I, um, and I think that's a skill for the business. And yeah. I think um, people who work for me can appreciate that too. So, you know, tend not to have uh, high staff turnover really ever. I think this year we've lost nobody at all in, yeah, in Cornerstone. So I think that's, that's something I really try and focus on. And also try and lead from the front. You know, I think, um, You've got to remember for me when I set up Cornerstone or when we set up Cornerstone, sorry, you know, I hadn't recruited, actually hadn't recruited for seven years. Right, right, because you're leading. You're more internal focused. Yeah, I was yeah. a number two biller. Number two biller last year. Alex was number one. Wow. Um, wow. So wow. so still, yeah, I'm 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 doing the job. You know, yeah. we only have twenty people in the business. I've managed a lot more than that. So I can still do the job, demonstrate to people some old school. Yeah, I think that's amazing, actually. I know my ex-boss, Mark Eld, when he went to set up Elwood Consulting, he hadn't billed for years because he was running the whole region. And so yeah. then he was there sending CVs out. And then he then he remembered how much he loved it when he was a 
Brad Trainee at Michael Page in London. You know, it's it's it is important to be able to be not so internal focused, right? Because you know, it's I know it's a big workforce at times, yep. and you have to sort of be internal, but actually, you do need to still have those relationships or look after something that you can add that value. Yeah, I think it's really important. Anything else in terms of strengths yeah, that you? I think it's really important to be. Sorry. <laughs> I think, sorry, just, I think as a leader, I just try and be as approachable and as in tune with the business as possible. So even, you know, even at RGF when we're 200 people, I was still sat in the middle of the floor. Um, you know, no PA, people come up to me all the time with ideas or questions. Yeah. yeah. And for me, that's just so important. No matter how big the business is, uh, you know, I'm going to know everybody's name. I'm going to know yeah, all about them. Really right. I'm going to be, hmm. I'm going to be incredibly approachable and, you know, whether that's a small business or a, or a big business. Yeah. And I think, I think that makes that, a massive you know, difference. Trying to take it, it does, you know, just, I've seen it before in big businesses where the, the MD sat in his office and there's a PA outside the office. Yeah. I've got to say and... that was me. I think we, when we got to that point, we got to about a hundred people in the, I think the happiest was when we probably had about 40 fee earners. That was the happiest time. And then when we got to the point where we had 70 right. fee earners, we moved to another office or we went up a floor. I can't remember now. And I had an office yeah. and I had, you know, lovely view and a PA. And, and you know what? It was, I would say it was probably the worst time ever because people had to knock on the door. It was open, but it was like knock on the door. The PA was kind of like a barrier in a way. Um, yeah. you, you know, I tried to sit on the, you know, on the main desk. It just, you know, it never felt the same. It was just hierarchical. And yeah, I didn't like it, if I'm being honest. So I think when you're saying getting, you know, being on the desk, not having on the floor, not having an office, breaking down those barriers, um, not being too internal, have an external focus. It really, really does make a big difference. I think I think it's crucial, especially as I'm I'm a really positive person. I think as well. So I think I'm someone who will try and set the mood for the business always. And most um, things hard to do that if you if you shut away. I like you know. Yeah, just that's true. Being, yeah, because it's contagious probably with you, right? So if it's contagious and you're just stuck in a room, it's just bouncing off the wall, isn't it? Yeah, you're not yeah. having impact on anyone else. Yeah. motivating myself yeah yeah it. exactly what do you think that you might need to be kind of aware of in terms of maybe some of your strengths kind of being a blind spot for you or being as something that I've asked a, another guest recently we always find it quite interesting is there any anything that of your talents that are great talents but if you don't kind of dial them down a little bit they can get in the way of what you're trying to do in terms of your goals is there anything that, that you sort of feel oh god I better I better just dial that one down or it's going to kind of get in the way yeah, of course. I mean, um, I think the ambition is is something which is, you know, it can be quite personal, actually. And um, I think you've got to realise that in order for everybody else to have the same level of ambition as you, then you have to set it up right and set the environment so that it's it comes naturally. You can't mm-hmm. just drill it into people. So I think Alex and I both probably have the same issue in that we're, we're so ambitious and we've, we've got this massive vision for the business. But you kind of... Of course, you've got to put it out there, and it's it's an important factor in people joining. Yes, yeah, yes. but it has to grow. Within, it has to grow. It has to grow within people themselves. Right, it can't know? be so top down. It's initial stages, but they've also got to see where's my purpose in this. Where am yes. I in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they going to? Yeah, what are they? Not just what what are they going to get out of it? What part do I play in yeah. in this person? Yeah, and I think if it's just always big picture. We're going to be here. We're going to be 150 yeah. people. Yeah, you're obviously quite visionary, quite futuristic. Yeah. Yeah, then 
sometimes you can leave people behind. So how are you going to try and kind of manage that then in yourselves? Like what, what are you, you know, have you thought about that in terms of, I know we want to get here and we're, you know, we're all gun ho about that. It's really exciting, but how do we put it back so that it is more tangible that people can see where they fit into that? How are you, or if you had, you know, even chance to sort of think about it like that? Yeah, we have, I think, because, you know, at RGF, we just, we were like that and it all flowed. But I think we lost a couple of people probably who didn't quite see where they fitted into everything. And um, so now we're really clear and we, you know, every single person in the business, we've got a, we've got a plan for. I know it sounds uh, a little bit silly, but it's it's not, we, we genuinely do. We have a plan for every person in the business and they're aware of what they need to do and what the business also needs to do for that plan to become a reality. And and that's also tied in with hiring people with, with real potential that we feel actually have the capacity to, to reach the, the planned goal yeah. too. There's no, there's no good hiring somebody and setting them a goal and they, they don't really have the ability yeah. to, to get. Yeah. So the two are linked. I think we're really, ca- we're really careful about that now. And I think people can see the step-by-step, the six monthly kind of, plans we have which are business linked and individually linked okay so behaviors as well not just revenues and yeah okay so that's quite important I can see that just from your talking in terms of the people you've worked with or how you've grown your businesses that that is quite an important part those behaviors than just purely revenues 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 yeah yeah it's uh, it's really important so your relationship with Alex like how do you both complement each other so yeah, it, it's a really interesting compliment. I think we um, we both worked in London in um, in England. Sorry, he worked in London. I, I worked in England in recruitment. So we, we when we first met, we immediately had that bond because I think the recruitment market in in the UK is a lot tougher than it is in Japan. Yeah, um, I think it is in you know in all the mature I think markets. It is, I think though. it's the toughest anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. It's pretty you know, brutal, worked, isn't it? it's brutal but if you worked in sydney or you've you know you've worked in maybe new york it's, it's still a pretty tough market yeah um so we had that common bond to start with and we you know shared ambition and all that kind of stuff but actually i think um he's he's probably the bad cop and i'm the good cop in right. the in the, right. in the business so people go to you first and then let it settle for a bit and then, then you'll talk to him and might be able to get it through maybe yeah <laughs> that's i think that's, that's i mean that in a nice way and he's yeah. you know he's got he's a bit younger he's got he's, he's got that energy and the drive and the the high standards which sometimes you can forget that you've been when you've been in recruitment for a while and yeah. you know it's it's fantastic to, to have him in the business. He's top biller, you know. That's actually quite, quite inspiring quite though, isn't it? To actually have yeah. the co- have a founder that is the top biller. But also if you're saying, you know, he's the top biller and he's, sorry, what, I can't remember the word you just used. Um, not detailed. What was the word you described, Harry Recruits? Or I, I don't know. I think I said he, had, he has high standards. Yeah, I think high standards. Too. Okay, so he has those high standards. So I suppose that resonates with other people in the office. That has an impression, right, in terms of how they go about it. It's, good, it's a good role model. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And I think, um, I think I've got the um, the experience and the positivity. And you know, we we talk about every decision and everything is a is a is a conversation. Quite collaborative, quite consultative, right? Okay. Yeah, big time. And, and I yeah. think that. It, it's really, it's really nice to have someone who's clearly a, an excellent technical recruiter and technical manager um, with a great track record, mm. you know, 
but but we would just complement each other, I think, quite nicely. And and what what is I think really important is that we 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 don't argue about anything. You know, we we got the same vision. We will occasionally have a discussion, obviously, yeah, about about the decisions that we make, but. That's really that you're very fortunate because I think a lot of people would like to go into business with people, but then they just don't know. Oh, we've worked together. Or could it work? Do we complement each other's strengths? You know that kind of thing. So it's quite interesting. It's it's interesting as a discussion to see how that's kind of working for you guys. Now let let's bring let's bring it up to sort of trends now in terms of Japan. I'm really keen to know what trends are occurring within a recruitment sector that's kind of getting you excited at the moment up in Japan. I think Japan's a kind of an immature market, so. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about any. I saw you. You sent me the questions beforehand. I had a look at this question. Yeah. I was trying to. Think, I was trying to think what. Yeah. What are the trends in the Japan market? What I really like about the Japan market is that I think it's maturing, and I think a lot of the it's it's becoming easier for smaller businesses, smaller recruitment businesses, to kind of specialize and to to really kind of have their niche in the market and that's not our goal you know we want to be a, we want to be one of the big boys but you know I know a lot of people who have recruitment businesses that have been relatively small for a while but have really kind of grown into their own niche yeah uh, you know there's kind of really cool businesses that you see in in other uh, in other more mature markets where yeah. they're totally specialized in one area mm. well like legal or compliance or something is all is that what you yeah. mean yeah exactly yeah, there's a good yeah there's a couple of great healthcare businesses right couple of good legal legal businesses in yeah. particular and um just as a kind of fellow entrepreneur i guess i like to i like to see how those businesses develop and mm. how they embrace that niche and so i think that's interesting and i think just as a as a general trend in, in the japan market what i and this is not really a recruitment trend more of just a, a social yeah. economic trend yeah. I guess. it's just so nice to see uh japanese candidates realize you know what's out there for them in in the market you know because japan is a country where traditionally you have lifetime employment you join you mm. join your company as a new grad it's like a school you know you get promoted every every year well, it's still like that on. in some places in, in many japanese domestic companies it right. is like that right salaries are very low you know they get Five to six days holiday a year, maximum oh, ten days. Oh my day gosh! Wow. Gosh. And it's tough. To, and it's tough to take them. That's honestly. really tough. So, you know, the idea. What's really nice about this market is because there are so many international companies now that offer, for the same level of experience, in, just an incredibly different uh, lifestyle. Yeah. You know, you can earn, yeah. you can earn so much more money. You can actually yeah. take holidays outside yeah. of the public How holidays. How healthy is that? Yeah. It's so good. So actually, to be to be part of a business which places candidates, and actually, really, uh, again, a bit cliche, but really changes their entire life is yeah. um, is fantastic. And it's yeah. nice to be part of a market which, because of that, of course, the, the domestic Japanese companies have to react to that and become, I guess, more modern in yeah. the you know the, is that the happening? Is that is that happening? Is. Yeah, slowly. Yeah, yeah, I think it really is. It has so, to, right? Or otherwise, they're not going to be able to survive. Hmm. It has to, and it, but it's really nice to see that. But it, it is amazing when you play somebody, you know, and they almost double their salary and wow. triple their yeah, annual. incredible. And it changes everything, not only just financially, just the whole outlook on life. It's amazing. Right? It's completely different. I love that. Um, I'm keen to just go on to one part. I know I've asked some questions that have come up, but I think we've kind of answered some of those. But 
if someone was listening that was keen to do something similar as yourself in terms of setting up their own business, what advice would you give them? What one piece of advice would be really important for you to impart to them? I think it's what we've touched on. I think you need to you need to pick your partner very carefully. And I think unless you're okay. going to do it completely by yourself, which actually I wouldn't recommend. Interesting. Okay, why is that? I think it's nice to share it with somebody. Yeah, and, I know. And I find it lonely it. working for myself at times. Yeah, I can see that completely. It's nice to bounce ideas off someone else. It is. Yeah. If you get the right, if you get the right person, yeah. I think if you get the right person, it's it can be a really awesome experience. You know, you, you share everything together, all the stresses, all the successes, um, and I think it's a really it's a nice part of setting up a business. But if you, you know, if you pick the wrong person, then it's going to be a nightmare. And uh, so that should be the, 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 the biggest, if you're going to set up a business with somebody else, then Take the time. you should really, mm. really consider how that's going to look. Interesting. In terms of sort of your own growth, growth move, moving forward as a leader, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things in your role? Like what are the kind of stuff that you do? I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm not a massive um, reader of business books or, or this kind of thing. I am, um, I'm more interested in, growing as a person outside of business right you like a good self-help book don't you yeah so, <laughs> so, so i'm more interested i'm more interested in that and uh actually just spending time you know in topics that i'm interested i'm really interested in history so i like to throw myself into that and i think just spending a bit, a bit more time in things that i'm actually interested in it actually results in you being a more or me being a more well-rounded person, and hmm. so that, that's it. And, that and all just ties into how you lead, though, right? And how you build those close relationships with, with your stakeholders, whether it's the whether it's Cornerstone across the region, or it's clients or candidates. It's bringing different conversation pieces, isn't it? In that if you can enrich yep. your own life, you end up re- enriching others with conversation. Yeah, I think you're certainly yeah. more well-rounded, and that definitely helps yeah. you in the relationships that you that you have with people. Yeah. So I'm interested in that becoming trying to become a more well-rounded person. You know, not just talking about um, Everton all the time. <laughs> you had to put Everton in. Oh my God, where are they on the league? Are they? We, we, we just we just beat Liverpool for the first time in twenty two years. Oh at gosh, Anfield. don't let Mark Elwood hear this then, because he's a massive Liverpool fan. He won't be happy that you've mentioned that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so that's a big thing. But also, I think just uh, you know, I really care about the business now, and that um, that drives some personal growth as well. Because yeah, this is this has to work for us. You know, we. But do you have any doubt we, that it won't? No, no. But it, but it has to. And we, you know, we, we put a lot into this, and we already had great jobs before we, yes. we set up this. Business. Yes. Well, there's more. There's more. Sort of, you've got more on the line now, haven't you? This is, a, yeah. you know, that you're not twenty twenty years old that you can kind of make these mistakes. This is kind of your mm-hmm. legacy, right? In terms of what yeah. you want to, yeah. And what's so for the next few months? Then what's kind of your main biggest priorities, you and Alex? Like, what are the top things that you have got to get right? So we've, I mean, we've got to transition to just the market as a whole and see how it's. Apparently, we're coming out of a state of emergency in um, at the end of March or the beginning of March. Right. Sorry, so we've got to we've got to really see how that looks. Um, I really think the state of emergency. We talked to sorry to divert, but we we talked a little bit about working from home, and mm. I think um, it's really helped us that our competitors have been working from home. Honestly, we we've. Does productivity gone down? Do you think for people? I think we just felt a drop off in competition. You know, wow. Honestly so and that may come back 
when people get back to the office. So I think. And is that uh, because I don't? And again, I'm probably being really ignorant with what I'm saying here, but I have the impression with Japan and say Hong Kong, there are people living in smaller. They're with families. They might live in smaller accommodation, and so if they're working from home, they don't necessarily have the opportunity to have their own office space, or it's quiet. Is that kind of take? Would that take a bit of a play, or not really? I don't think so. I think um, I think the Japan market is dominated by the big players. So, and the big players tend to hire younger people, and it's it's a market which is constantly in transition. In the you know a lot of people who are not Japanese who live in Japan and work as a recruiter in Japan probably do it for two or three years. Yeah. Right. So level of commitment slightly different, and the average age of recruiters in this market is lower, a lot lower. Than, than in other markets, just because it's it's mainly the big boys who are hiring new grads and bringing them through. And I just think that, you know, you let a lot of 25 and 26-year-olds work from home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Net, <laughs> Netflix will certainly be tuned, yeah. be tuned in most days. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So you're saying then that, that you've capitalised on that. So having a little bit of grey hair, a little bit of um, – you know, experience can actually see you through maybe this year more so than I think, see competitors. And I think a lot of the other the other smaller businesses have as well who, you know, have, are made up of more experienced recruiters mm. who are motivated anyway. And mm. even though they've been working from home, it's not really a big difference for those guys. No, because they're they, still motivated. That's how they do it. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you're in your first year in recruitment and, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I would get, I would definitely wouldn't get anything done. That's for sure. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. In London, when I worked, if it was snowing outside, that was it. I was definitely going to do a sick day on that one. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and play in the snow. God, yeah. Go to work. So, but we've got. A, yeah, we've got to transition that. I think um, uh, we've got. A, we've got some quite aggressive hiring plans for um, certainly for April. We're going to have quite a few new starters. So we're we're really in the position now where we're interviewing a lot of people. We have a huge pipeline of candidates. So you're happy for people to approach you directly on your on we'll put your name on the show notes. You're happy for people to and, and is there any particular background, experience that you're looking for? Uh, we're really open actually. We've only hired experienced people so far. We've had one we had one new grad, um a lady called Shruti Panda, great name. That's who amazing, is um yeah she's gonna do probably 60,000 US in her first four months. Wow. So, so you can take young ones on then. It's not that you, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we, you know, we, um, I think I say to everybody, you know, I, I wrote the training program at RGF and we have the same training program pretty much okay. you know, here. Okay. The, the only difference is it will be delivered by me and Alex and not, right. and not by a corporate trainer, which I think makes, makes a big difference. Yeah. So we, well, I don't know. Some, some corporate trainers Matt, aren't too bad if they're like me that, you know, come from recruitment, just, uh, just put it out there. But you know, we, yeah, so we're, we're geared to hire non-experienced and experienced people. And we have a lot of people approaching us directly Ooh. now. So it sounds like you're, you're doing something different and it sounds quite fresh and there seems to be a big purpose there. And it, it's, it's exciting. We, I wish you all the luck for the future. It sounds really exciting what you're doing. Um, I always end the podcast with a rapid fire round. Um, so let's just kick those off, um, even though I'm not sure what you're going to answer some of those because um, one of them was about the reading. So let's kick off. What was the last podcast or book that you listened to that you'd recommend to the listeners? That's a good question. Um, I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan. it's a bit cliche again, but I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, and yeah quite a few people are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I'd recommend that. It ties in with my interests specifically of martial arts and politics and histories. Mm. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Yeah, great. Love it. Um, what one thing a business leader should avoid doing at all costs? 
I think detaching themselves too much from their business or their team. And, you know, I've seen it a lot, even on a management team management level where somebody gets promoted and of course you need some distance, but you know, you, you've got to, you've got to balance that gap. And that yeah, would be my advice. More servant leadership. What one yeah. thing is a must for a business leader to be, do, to be doing to be successful? You've got to lead from the front and you've got to be accessible. Yeah. Um, yeah, Those, love it. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Is there anything else that you would say someone needs to be to be successful? Anything else that's a real important one for you? I, think, I still think positivity is massively important. Yeah. Uh, most, most of the successful people I've met are inherently quite positive yeah. people. Yeah. And I'm definitely a positive person. And yeah. I think. Uh, if you took the Clifton Strengths assessment, you would have positivity, futuristic communication, individualization in your top five. I just know it. Right now, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so important, though. And I, yeah. you know, but not everyone really... has it, though. They don't. No, so it is. So it is nice if you can that having someone with positivity in a group can really make a difference um, to just the overall culture. Just that enthusiasm. I think you can work on it. You can work on it too. You know, I've, I, I'm working on it with a couple of my leaders now. Where even simple things like, hey, in the morning, let's, let's come in and set set the tone a little bit. Have a little yeah. bit of energy. Yeah. Right, right from the day, you know, the start of the day. So yeah. you can work on it. Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a really healthy. It's a, it is a talent, actually. It is a talent. So thank you so much for your time and being a guest on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, to the listeners out there, if you'd like to get in contact with Matt at Cornerstone Recruitment, then please check out the notes on this episode. We will also have all guests that are mentioned on this podcast. So we'll have Alex's contact details on there as well. So please feel free to reach out. As you know, he's hiring. Um, If you've enjoyed the podcast, please don't be stingy. Share it with as as many people as you can. Rate and review it. And do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, our company website. And don't forget to be checking out our new campaign or group that we will be launching. We're Women in Recruitment Asia. Um, that is going to be coming out in the next few months. So if you're keen to be a mentor, if you're keen to be a business partner, um, please reach out to me. Okay, everyone have a great uh, week ahead and please stay safe. Take care. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.